right, one week away, and I already forget to put my mic on, so <laughs> there we go. All right, well, let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, I don't know if you guys have been doing this recently or if it just came to mind for me this week, but have you ever had the joy of creating a resume or updating one? Uh, for a few of you, I, I know this is something you've been working on or currently doing. For others, it's probably not anything you've considered for decades or longer, or you've officially checked off the retirement box, and it is no longer in sight. Uh, but I absolutely understand the importance of a resume. Like, you're trying to communicate the most important things about you. And as someone who's currently trying to hire a few people, you know, we're trying to hire a worship leader and kids ministry director. Uh, I want to know as much about the individual as I can so that I get a snapshot of what's important to them, how they operate. Um, and as I think of how many of us approach a resume, we, we try to polish the parts of our lives that may be a little less developed, right? So that summer you spent as a dog walker can suddenly turn into experienced leader with the ability to orchestrate multiple projects at once, right? I mean, you can make anything sound lovely if you use the right phrases. Uh, that high school French class you took years ago becomes student of other cultures, right? You, you try to make those spots of your life shine a little bit brighter. Um, but can you imagine if instead of highlighting your strengths or your potential strengths, what if you highlighted your weaknesses? What if on your resume you inc included the weak spots of your life? Like how many job offers would you get if you shared about your propensity for jealousy? Or what about if you included that you have a track record for oversleeping and showing up late? Or, or what if you shared about that time you were reprimanded because you made an inappropriate comment or action in a moment of weakness? Like, those are not things that we want to highlight. But what if those are precisely the parts of our lives that God wants to bring to the surface in each of us? Not so that we do more of that, but so that as we bring it to the surface, we can begin to experience his transformation in our weaknesses. What if instead of keeping those skeletons tucked away in a closet, we brought them out and we saw the Lord do a work that only he can do in our weaknesses. Now today we're back in our series, Unlikely Heroes, and we're looking at the prophet Jonah. And last week, our friend Zach Shimmer shared about God's call and Jonah's response. And before we get into our text today, I want to go back and highlight a portion of Jonah's prophetic resume, so to speak. You know, in a really dark time in Israel's history, God gave Jonah a message that God himself would show kindness to Israel by restoring part of Israel's land that had been taken. Even though the people were living in rebellion, they were opposed to God, and their king himself was described as evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, can you imagine how excited and how pumped Jonah would be to carry that sort of message to his people? Like, God is going to be gracious to us. We don't deserve it, but he's going to restore our land that has been taken. Like, that's, that's a message that he wanted to carry. Like, imagine if God raised up a prophet in Ukraine right now, 
and gave a message that God was going to end the war and restore all the land that had been taken from Russia. Can you imagine how this prophet would be received by the Ukrainians? Like, he would almost become a national hero, right? He wouldn't have to do the work, but to, to herald the good news that God was going to end the war and restore the land, that would be a person the nation would look up to. Like, he would be celebrated in parades and getting streets named after them and, and having their face all over newspapers and magazines. Like, picture that sort of a scene as we read this passage in 2 Kings, this is 14, verses 23 through 27. In the 15th year of Judah's king Amaziah, son of Joash, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, became king of Israel and Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He didn't turn away from all the sins Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit. He restored Israel's border from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel had spoken through his servant, the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai from Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter for both slaves and free people. There was no one to help Israel. The Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel under heaven. So he delivered them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. So, Although Jeroboam was rebellious against God, Jonah was instructed to share the good news of the grace that God would bring to Israel. Undeserved grace, that their territory would be expanded and that they would regain land that had been taken from them. And Jonah would likely have become a nationalistic hero. So fast forward um, to where the book of Jonah picks up. And we see God give Jonah a very similar and yet very different sort of message. That Jonah was still instructed to share the good news of the grace that God would bring. But this time, the undeserving people were not Israelites. They were not God's chosen people. This time, it would be the Ninevites, the bloodthirsty, brutal Assyrians who would, within a few decades of this message, bring about the fall of Israel. And as Jonah had seen and experienced, God is gracious and he is compassionate. And his compassion, it's not limited to a few who quote unquote deserve his love. It extends to even the most undeserving of them all. Even to the ones Jonah didn't believe deserved compassion. That he would rather see blotted out. And Jonah's own prejudice and judgment it led him to flee, trying to run as far as he possibly could away from the Lord and away from the message that he had been given. And that decision to run, it leads us to the place we find ourselves today, where Jonah has been thrown overboard and swallowed by a massive fish. So let's go ahead and begin reading in Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And now as you're turning there in your Bibles, uh, let me just briefly mention that Jonah is considered a minor prophet, which just means that it's one of the shorter prophetic books. Uh, compared to Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel, uh, it's much shorter. 
And as our Bible is ordered, uh, the minor prophets are the last books in the Old Testament. So feel free to use your table of contents to find it. Uh, there's no shame in that. I'd, I make good use of the table of contents, especially in the Old Testament. Uh, but it's a few books after Daniel. Uh, you'll see Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and then Daniel. Uh, or Sorry, then Jonah. If you hit Micah or Nahum or Habakkuk, you've gone too far. But let me just say, as you're turning there in your Bible, uh, if you don't have one or you just like this one better, uh, please take this Bible as a gift to you. Uh, that's one of the best gifts we think we could give you. But let's go ahead and begin reading Jonah 2, verses 1 and 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. Now, as I was reading the text this week, I was shocked that this is the first time that the text mentions Jonah actually praying. Like, did you notice that? Chapter 1, there's no mention of Jonah praying. Um, God gave him the message to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up against me. And according to the text, there was no conversation between Jonah and God. Like Jonah didn't ask God to give him a different message to carry. He didn't express his fear or his anger about the assignment. He just ran. And similarly, when Jonah was on the ship and the storm came raging, the captain of the ship literally told Jonah to pray to your God. And Jonah remained silent. You know, when the sailors, they cast lots to figure out who was to blame for the storm. And Jonah was discovered to be the cause. He didn't pray. He talked about God, but he didn't talk to him. And here we find a weakness rising to the surface in Jonah's prophetic resume. And that first weakness is prayerlessness. He didn't pray until there was nowhere else to run. And this was certainly not just a matter of self-sufficiency. Like sometimes I fall into this trap of thinking, I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to bother anyone. Surely God's busy with more important matters, so I'll just do it myself. That's, that's not what's happening here. Uh, this was flat-out rebellion. This was a decision Jonah made to harden his heart. Jonah didn't want to pray to God because he didn't want to kneel to God. And I'm not talking about a physical position. Like, it's not praying unless you get on your knees and bow your head or hold your hands a certain way. Like, that's not at all what I'm saying. Jonah didn't want to pray because he didn't want to submit to God. He may have not have said it exactly like this, but Jonah believed that he would be a better God than Yahweh. Jonah thought that God should only show kindness to the people that he approved, like the, the people of Israel, the, the people he thought deserved it. But remember the problem. Nobody deserves God's kindness. We've all rebelled. We've all gone astray. And some may have a more visible rebellion than others, but there's no one who deserves God's kindness. So Jonah's rebellion, it's ultimately about himself trying to sit on the throne of judgment. 
that he believes he would be a better judge, a better determiner of what is right and wrong. And because Jonah was reaching for that position, he didn't pray. He didn't want God's input. He didn't want to be reminded of God's mercy and grace. So instead, he ran. He ran until there was nowhere else to run. And yet, when Jonah did pray, God answered him. Like God heard Jonah's voice. It didn't matter that he had run away in rebellion. It didn't matter that he was afraid and on death's door. God heard Jonah's prayers. And friends, I don't know who needs to hear this today, but God still hears our prayers. It doesn't matter how far we have run. It doesn't matter if we have lived in rebellion. If we turn to him, he will hear our prayers. And let me just add this caveat. There are some specific reasons given in scripture for why God ignores our prayers at times. Like if we ignore the poor, uh, if husbands are being insensitive to their wives, if we're being prideful or if we're being unjustly violent, you know, all of these could be summarized with the word rebellion, right? If we remain in a state of rebellion, God is likely to ignore our prayers because we're living in a way that says we don't want to follow him. But when you turn to him in repentance, he's there. It doesn't matter our track record up to that point. If we repent, if we turn to him, he will hear our prayers. He is ready to respond. And, you know, I, I can't promise that he's going to answer all of our prayers the way that we want him to. But he will answer them. He will respond. And that's exactly what we see in Jonah's life. When he came to the place where he could run no further, he finally looked up to God. In Tim Keller's book, The Prodigal Prophet, which I've referenced quite a bit in preparing for this series, and especially I think is timely with Keller's passing just a couple days ago, um, he said this of Jonah's and of our own experience of coming to the place where we can go no further. He said, it's only when you reach the very bottom, when everything falls apart, when all your schemes and resources are broken and exhausted, that you're finally open to learning how to completely depend on God. As is often said, you never realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. How does it feel to know that God hears our prayers? In fact, let's, let's go beyond that. God doesn't just hear our prayers. He prays with us and for us. Like Romans 8 tells us that Jesus and the Holy Spirit both, they intercede for us in heaven or they go to the Father on our behalf. Like we're not just humble sinners trying to get our voice heard by God. God has come to us and he is praying on our behalf. He is working in our favor for our good. 
Isn't it amazing that the God who created the universe knows what's going on in your life? That he knows about your frustrations and your pains. He knows about your burdens, the things that bring shame into your life. And he isn't just watching from a distance, but he's intimately involved in whatever we're facing. He's there. If only we will turn to him and let him. So let's continue reading in verses 3 through the first part of verse 6. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. But I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the fountains, or foundations of the mountains. And the earth's gates shut behind me forever. As Jonah recounts his descent, we see another weakness in Jonah's prophetic resume coming to the surface. And that's his self-centeredness. You know, it's, it's important to note that one of the most significant words here is you and your. Like Jonah says, when you threw me into the depths, your breakers and your billows, they swept over me. I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. And there's a strange mix of blame and worship going on here. Like Jonah rightly describes God's role in the discipline that he's experiencing, but all of it is dripping with self-centeredness. Like God may be at work behind the scenes, but at least in Jonah's mind, he is still the hero of his own story. And I think it's interesting, those who don't follow God or even those who don't believe that there is a God, they, they tend to point their fingers and blame God whenever evil occurs, right? But they tend to think they deserve all the credit for the successes and the joys they experience in life. You know, it reminds me of the age-old question, and I love how R.C. Sproul answers this. He says, why do bad things happen to good people? That only happened once, and he volunteered. There's only been one occurrence in history where a bad thing happened to a good person. And that was when Jesus was crucified on the cross. And he volunteered for that role. There is no such thing as a good person outside of Jesus. So we have to realize that part of God's plan is being with us in both the trials and in the provision and in the following verses, we begin to see the shift in Jonah's perspective as he moves away from that self-centeredness and that prayerlessness and toward what I consider part of what makes Jonah an unlikely hero. So let's pick back up in verses 6 through 10. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. 
Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now in these final verses, Jonah reveals his repentance. He turns from his prayerlessness and his self-centeredness, and we see him remember precisely who God is. He remembers that salvation belongs to the Lord. It's in his nature. It's part of what makes him worthy of our worship. And that recognition, it leads Jonah to lay it all down, to offer himself to the Lord and to return what God to to return to what God had asked him to do. So what was Jonah's super strength? What made him an unlikely hero? I believe that it was his super weakness that made him an unlikely hero. He probably didn't view it that way. In fact, I'm quite confident that Jonah would have preferred to swap places with someone like Samson so that he could unleash God's wrath and his fury upon his enemies. But God intended to use Jonah to reveal a message of grace rather than one of wrath and condemnation. And that grace, it began in God's treatment of Jonah in his own weakness. The the message that God intended to show the, the Ninevites, it was amplified by sending Jonah. And as we'll see next week, his perspective and his experience, it made the words even more weighty. And God was able to communicate a message not only to the Ninevites, but to the thousands and millions who have read this story throughout the past nearly 3,000 years. And it reminds me of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. He wrote about what he called a thorn in the flesh and how he wished and prayed that God would take it away from him. And Paul writes, "But, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And Jonah's resume might not have been the most impressive, especially with his prayerlessness and his self-centeredness. But God brought both of those weaknesses to the surface so that he might display his own strength in and through Jonah. And it's my prayer that God would do the same in each of us, that he would reveal our weaknesses, whether it's pride or self-reliance, or laziness, or fear, or favoritism. And that as he reveals those weaknesses inside of us, that then we would turn to the Lord and invite him to wash over our weaknesses and to show his strength within us. Because it's then that we see Christ's power residing in us in spite of ourselves. Because when we rely on his strength, God will write a much more beautiful story than we could ever imagine on our own. And I believe with every bit of my soul that God will use us 
to bring healing to the wounds in our community. That he will use us to bring transformation to the people that he has placed around us. That he will use us to build bridges and help people reconnect with the church when they've been hurt by some who claim the name of Jesus. And it all begins with amplifying his strength by handing over our weaknesses and saying, Lord, use us in spite of ourselves. God, we want people to see you, not, not us. And our prayer at Overflow is that as we see our community saturated with the overflowing love of Jesus, that we get to be his hands and his feet. And knowing that those hands and those feet have weakness. And yet it's the Lord's strength that upholds us. It's the Lord who brings us together, who puts us in this community for a reason. That his strength, that his power might be on display through all of us, the, the unlikely heroes. And that's really the good news of the gospel, that strength is only found in Jesus. He is the one who left heaven and pursued us, taking on the weight of our sin by dying on the cross in that place that each of us deserved to go. Because as scripture says, all of us have sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And that sin, the consequences or the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's entering into his strength in spite of our sinful weaknesses. But he doesn't leave us weak. He doesn't just walk alongside us. He fills us with his spirit and sends us back into the places where he has put us that we can tell others what we have experienced in Christ. That's good news. Not just what we have received, but that he has put us here for the good of others. So as we pray, let's ask that the Lord would reveal his strength in each of us. Let's ask that he would send us out, much like Jonah, that in spite of our weaknesses, his strength would overcome us, and that we would be sent to the community that is still in rebellion against him, much as we were ourselves at one point. So let's bow our heads and, and pray to the Lord. Father, I thank you for your grace. It, by definition, we don't deserve it. We have rebelled from you. Like Jonah, we have run from you but Father, you pursued us by sending Jesus. And I, I thank you for your love and for your sacrifice. And Father, I pray that you would continue to do a work in each of us. Whether we're here today and we have not put our trust in you and we have lived much as Jonah did in that, that self-reliance, trying to make it on our own. If that's us today, Lord, I, I pray that you would reveal where that path leads, that we cannot save ourselves, that in our sin, in our rebellion, 
we will perish. But Lord, let us see your love. Let us see your sacrifice that you've made on our behalf. And I pray that you would transform us from the inside out. That you would give us a new heart. That you would fill us with your spirit. And that we would be consumed with your strength. And Father, I pray that as you've placed us uniquely in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our families, in our schools, that that we would boldly go forward as people who have received grace that we don't deserve. Help us to tell, help us to show others what it means to be transformed by you. And Father, I thank you for the work that you have done and that you're continuing to do. I thank you for bringing us to this community. And I ask that you would go before us in preparing the hearts of the people. We know what comes in the next chapters of Jonah's story, that the people hear the message and repent. And we pray that for our neighbors, for our community members, that as we proclaim your goodness, that they would turn to you, that you would hear their prayers. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.